Okay, thank you so much, Ryan, for coming on the podcast. Uh, Ryan Smith is the founder and CEO of RecycleOps, a sustainable logistics company that has diverted tens of millions of pounds of, from, of trash from landfills to date. Uh, he was also a Forbes 30 Under 30 Award recipient in 2020. Ryan is the father of two little girls who keep life exciting. He graduated from Brigham Young University with a degree in business strategy in 2016. Uh, in his free time, he likes to hike, rock climb, and backpack with his dad and brothers. Welcome to the show, Ryan. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, you know, thanks so much again. I think, uh, you know, I've just been intrigued by your business ever since I've, you know, seen what you all are up to. Uh, maybe you know, spend a little bit of time just talking about maybe, you know, how you got started with the uh, business and, you know, kind of where you are today. Yeah. So I first got into this space um, when I moved into an apartment that didn't have recycling. So I grew up recycling. I was, I was, I'm an Eagle Scout. And so I feel like sustainability has kind of been ingrained into me um, throughout my life. But um, I moved into an apartment in college and there wasn't recycling and it just blew my mind. I was just surprised more than anything and started digging around with the, at first I just thought I moved into a really crappy apartment, which is kind of true. Um, but I started doing some digging around to see like, is, is my apartment unique? I'd go on dates and I'd like, before I'd go pick up the girl, I'd like poke my head in the dumpster and close her to see if there was recycling or going out with friends. And, and to my surprise, like my apartment just wasn't unique. And I started doing some more research and saw that it wasn't just a problem for my city or my state that it was a, a national and even a global problem that apartments struggled to recycle. And that, that for me was the very beginning of the journey where I had my first exposure to access issues for sustainability initiatives. And as I've gotten more and more into this space, I found a, a few things that are very clear. And that's that there's kind of two big access holes for sustainability initiatives. One is a lack of access because of where someone lives. And that's what I was exposed to initially which, you know, is my apartment, you know, and in the U.S. about 60% of apartments don't have recycling. So that's like 16 million homes. Another big access issue because of where someone lives is um, on the outskirts of urban centers or in more rural populations, recycling programs are rare or non-existent. And that accounts for about 34 million homes without recycling pickups. So you put those two together, 16 million apartments, 34 million single family homes. We're talking 50 million households, something like 38% of the population. And that's a huge, huge part of our thesis as a company. The other piece is a lack of access because of what a material is. And that could be, um, what do you do with batteries and light bulbs? Yeah, that you can go drop them off somewhere, but it's not easy. They don't make it easy on the consumer. What about, you know, if you do grocery delivery and you get an ice pack, what do you do with the ice pack? You don't really want to throw it away. It's, it's a good ice pack but you don't need 52 of those in your freezer every year if you're ordering every week. And so, and the list goes on and on. There's, you know, tons of things that there's a lack of access to because of what it is. And as I started digging into these problems, the, and trying to understand why, why is this not happening? What's the, what's kind of the root cause here? And it all came down to logistics, that there was a logistics problem. I think about sustainability with, you know, with like, chasing arrows, right? You see that like in the recycle symbol or, you know, circular economies, you have these arrows that, you know, go in a circle or go in a triangle. And those arrows, you know, every arrow is going to a destination which goes to the next one. You know, what the arrows really signify is 
logistics, transportation, getting one thing to the next step. And there are huge gaps in that. And that's where, you know, Cyclops has tried to come in and fill some of those gaps and, you know, kind of be a reverse logistics sustainability company where we, you know, help get things from here to there to enable the circular economy. Yeah, no, that's a great overview. And what would you say has been like the biggest challenges that you faced um, you know, as you're finding these like different populations that may not have access to recycling? Uh, what's like the hardest part about like either serving them or getting them to realize that you all are available as an option? Yeah, you know, we found that we do a pretty good job of um, scratching the surface. We go into a community that doesn't have access to recycling or doesn't have access to certain pieces of recycling, or it could it's, it's more than just recycling, composting, reuse, you name it. And we can do a good job of getting that initial um, portion of population, um, but it takes, it takes another level of effort to get deeper. You know, we can get a, you know, a couple percent of households in, in any given city but more than just a couple percent of people are interested in this and are willing to pay for this and, and want to want to keep things out of the landfill and put them to better use and give them a second life. And it's definitely a challenge going from that first level of like kind of early, it's not even just the early adopters, it's just getting the people to hear about it. And like, I feel like there's more early adopters out there and the next level beyond that, who we just haven't reached yet. And so really that, that uh, you know, challenge of just getting the word out is, is tough. And I feel like we've done a pretty good job at it, but I just look at where we're at and where we could be. And I think, oh man, we got to do a better job of letting people know we're here. It's not uncommon for us to be in a community for a year and have someone say, oh, I didn't know you guys, I didn't know this existed. And I'm like, how, how did you not know? We're trying to get the word out. So. Oh, that's really, I mean, that's like the, the great like equalizer, right, is like communication, I guess. So getting getting the word out is definitely important. Um, what is what's been your recruiting, uh, you know, I guess strategy, if you will. Like I know you've got a big, you know, good team, big team over there. How are you how are you thinking about uh, you know getting folks to sign up? How how are you how are you onboarding them? How does that work for you? Yeah, you know, we found that. Um, we do really well with um, anything that is kind of community-based. So we do really well with community partnerships, partnering, whether that be partnering with a city or partnering with um, just groups that are sympathetic to the cause. Like we've, we've had great partnerships with the Humane Society and random nature centers and different groups. And we do really well with that. Um, additionally, traditional digital ads um, have been a success for us. Um, as have um, things like door-to-door -door sales. We've done really well with door-to-door -door sales. And so, um, but um, it's, yeah, it's a lot of work with, you know, getting all these up and going. And we found that we've tried things like a national, national social media campaigns and things like that. But every community is so unique that, you know, you kind of need a different marketing and communication mix for every community. And so we found that rather than doing a broad national focus, which would be way easier, way easier, um, we do much better when we go community by community and really zero in and focus on that community. And we can, we found that can be really successful, um, but it, it's um, definitely more labor and intensive than uh, just like broad, you know, blast the world type of comms. 
And for your labor, like your your team, like how do you how do you find like your executives and your your folks to come and like join the cause? Yeah, um, we have been um, really lucky to um, find great talent. You know, it's there's a lot of great people who care about the environment deeply and, and care about doing good. And so we found that we can find uh, exceptional people to come in and, and be a part of Recyclops. So, um, you know, leveraging networks, using LinkedIn aggressively to find, you know, some of those senior execs. Um, and then additionally, um, you know, when it comes to kind of building up the, the broader team, we have a recruiter who's on our team and she spends a lot of her time we well let me take a step back to start to you know be a logist this kind of reverse logistics company that we are one of the key components to that for us is the gig economy so we you know use kind of the uber lyft doordash whatever model where we hire local independent contractors to be drivers and they those um, drivers you know fulfill the kind of logistics needs you know they go pick up from someone's home and then take it to an aggregation point where we take aggregated material from there and get it to the right processing center well because we have that huge need to always be recruiting drivers um, it made sense for us to hire a an exceptional recruiter and she spends most of her time as of late on the driver's side um, but she is responsible for you know building up our team as well and we've found exceptional people who work here at Recyclops. That's great. And on the, so you have these aggregation points and then you're recruiting those or, or you're, you're having to sign on with them and partner with them too. So maybe talk a little bit about like, I guess the supply chain and maybe some of the um, distribution points that happen after it goes through the um, aggregation points. Yeah, so as we think about our business, there's three steps. Pick up, aggregate, or con and consolidate, and then haul. And part of haul is finding the proper end solution, right? We need to haul it to somewhere. So that's one of our core competencies is finding, you know, the proper facilities for sorting or for direct recycling or for composting um, and, and um, wash facilities, you know, you name it. Um, but thinking about kind of the supply chain, we find local drivers. They go pick stuff up in their trucks, minivans, sedans, SUVs, you name it. Um, and then it doesn't make sense for them to you know pick up ten houses and then drive an hour to a recycling processing facility. All the all the pr processing facilities for recycling in the country are in major metros, essentially. And so if you're an hour outside of a major metro to get it to a processing facility, drive got to drive an hour doesn't make sense to do that every 10 stops. You need to you know, get stuff into a um, more aggregated way, uh, whether that be in a trailer or whatever it may be. And so what we do is we um, either you know, lease a small spot of land and you know, put a trailer there. Uh, we've done shipping containers for that, for moving more material. We'll, we've worked with, um, with storage units where we just put stuff into a storage unit. And then when it's time to um, make a haul and move that stuff to the processing facility. We load it into a U-Haul and hire a you know independent contractor to you know rent and drive that U-Haul, and are able to basically leverage existing kind of storage options in communities, whether that be a small piece of land or whether that be a more traditional storage unit, um, to aggregate material and do that. Um, and you know the bigger we get, the 
the more it makes sense to, you know, maybe get a warehouse or different stuff. Um, but I mean, most communities, it's, you know, it's a small aggregation point. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, we have, a, we have a member of our team whose, you know, full-time job is kind of handling the logistics of finding places to, you know, um, store and aggregate stuff and working on just getting it there and then getting it out of there when we have enough. And how are you spending like most of your day, would you say? What's like a typical day? For, for me as the CEO? Yeah, as, as a CEO, what, what are you spending time on? Do you, are you yeah. selling? Are you hiring more? Where, where are you spending yes. most of your time? I say I spend my time doing a, a number of kind of key things. Um, one is looking at the financial side of the business. So we are a venture-backed startup, so we're not currently profitable. Um, and have raised money from investors to um, help us scale more rapidly than we could on our own. And that's going to push us out of profitability. Um, and so I spend a lot of my time on that side, making sure that we're funded, you know, looking at budgets, looking at all of that, um, meeting with investors, et cetera. Um, I also um, spend a lot of my time on the team and the culture and making sure that we have an exceptional team and that that team's supported. Um, Startups are resource constrained, and so it's always a challenge to have the team, you know, get have the support they need when you're resource constrained. And so I, I spend a lot of my time on that. And then the other place that I spend a significant portion of my time is on uh, partnerships. So working with organizations to, you know, build that kind of initial level of partnership and then from there kind of passing it on to the team. And so one, one, like an example of a partnership that um, that I've spent a lot of time on that is now kind of in the hands of our, the team is um, we work with a company called Diaper, D-Y-P-E-R. And Diaper is on a mission to make diapering more sustainable. And it's a big challenge. Anyone who has kids knows the challenge of diapers and cloth diapering is a great solution, but it's tough. And so they set out to make a, um, a diaper that was more sustainable. The average Huggies, Pampers, whatever diaper has as much plastic as two plastic water bottles. Um, so significant amounts of plastic in those. So a number of companies have said, hey, let's make a better diaper. And they've leveraged um, bamboo viscose as a material. High performing, performs similar to regular diapers, a little bit more um, expensive, but worth, worth the cost to a lot of people. Well, this company, Diaper, wanted to go a level beyond. They said, hey, we we want to do more than just have a more sustainable diaper in the landfill. Let's keep it out of the landfill altogether. And so they built a diaper composting program. And um, they, their initial iteration of that was a mailback program where people would hold on to dirty diapers for 30 days, put them in a box, drive that box over to FedEx or whoever shipper, shipping partner is, and then ship it to um, diaper where it would then be you know, taken to a specialized processing facility. Now that, is a crappy customer experience. Um, and it is, uh, it just sucks every, like holding onto diapers for 30 days, like, oh. But then even worse than that is then taking those dirty diapers and having to hand them to someone at a desk at FedEx or schedule a pickup to have them come to your house. Like that's just uncomfortable. And so um, I got connected to diaper. They, they, they reached out and said, hey, is there any way Recyclops could pick this up Recyclops style? you know, gig economy, have a driver do that. And, and it was like, um, 
well, actually at first they just reached out and said, Hey, we want to talk. And I started digging in and I thought, Oh my gosh, this would be like perfect partnership for that. I wasn't sure what they wanted. Um, but met with them and we were super aligned on what they wanted and what we thought what we could do and ran I ran you know ran a pilot I, I did the first set of pickups myself and said hey does this work can we do this I stored dirty diapers in my garage like a thousand pounds of dirty diapers in my garage for a couple of months to see like what does it look like storing these how do I how am I going to ship these in bulk to processors how does that work and just figuring it out and you know all, all the while really kind of nurturing this partnership and, and building something up and that's kind of an extreme example um, in some ways, but, you know, I, I like to, um, you know, when we have some of these big opportunities that we see as a company that can be um, kind of game-changing for us, I, I am often kind of the first point of contact who kind of gets the ball rolling there and tests things and gets it started and then passes it on um, from there. So I spend a lot of time in random partnerships and you know, trying to th think outside the box on, you know, what our future looks like. I think we got our episode title there, Thousand Dirty Diapers in the Garage, <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to, to venture back, to, you know. Something the, like the funny thing about it for that one is, is like my wife, I was like, what am I going to do? How, where am I going to store these? How am I going to figure this out? My wife was like, just put them in the garage. I was like, what? Dude, Game changing having a supportive spouse. <laughs> I was gonna say you still married after that one, so good for you. <laughs> um, what would you say is like the current state? Of, how do you like look at recycling right now? I guess I know you. You know you got these statistics. Like what did you say? Like thirty eight percent of households that you can address. I guess um, where do you think it sits in people's mindset to be able to, you know, recycle? You know, pay pay a fee to have someone come and pick up their their stuff yeah so we're, we're like you touched on i mean we're a subscription business people pay they, they sign up and they pay a monthly fee to participate um, but what a lot of people don't realize is that that's actually not abnormal that's what's happening already in i don't know what the numbers are but in a significant portion of cities across the country excuse me across the country um recycling is something that's paid it's paid as a utility you know you pay every month you pay a certain amount towards that in other cities it's um just part of your municipal municipal fees that are paid in taxes and so you're kind of blind to what you're paying but you're just paying it through your taxes and so recycling uh, and you know any sort of sustainability pickups composting recycling reuse programs all of them need to they're paid programs and we found that um, oftentimes we think oh, it's going to be a hurdle. It's going to be a hurdle. It just hasn't been. There's definitely a willingness to pay. People care. People care about this a lot. And they, they look at this and say 15 bucks, you know, to not put this in a landfill, you know, 15 bucks a month, like easy, let's do it. And, and we've seen that there is a strong willingness to pay for that. And so we, uh, it, it's been, it's been really um cool to see people care and to see people kind of put their money where their mouth is and you know pay as much as they would for netflix for a um to be greener to live more sustainably um and i'm i'm, I'm uh, pretty inspired by that and like do you have like an ideal customer or like i guess your avatar do they have like any characteristics on like what type of like 
lifestyle or attributes like you would describe them as? Yeah, you know, recycling is something that it, you know, is um, not specific to any group. So we have people who are retired doing this. We have people living in mansions. We have people in trailer homes. We have millennials. We have Gen Z. We have, you name it. But if I had to look at like, hey, where where do most of our customers sit? Because we run the gamut and we have a significant portion everywhere. But the kind of the best target customer for us is the mom. So um, 30s, you know, late, maybe late 20s, you know, third, but really kind of mid 30s to mid 40s. Um, and maybe even, you know, we can start to get touching into the grandma and get a little, you know, add another decade or two to that. But really, um, women who have children, that is a significant um, market for us. It, and we've seen that these are people who um, care and they um, care about the future. They care about the future of their kids. We've seen that um, more of, we have more women that sign up than men um, for the service um, or, or that, you know, if we have a household that, you know, is a, you know, a traditional household, we see that the, um, the mother in the home is typically the one who's signing up for recycling, not the father. Um, and that's, that's an kind of interesting, interesting dynamic. Um, another, another kind of fun one that we've noticed, um, not shocking uh, to me at all. Um, but especially in the month of June, we noticed that, um, if someone has a rainbow flag on their house, they're probably a Recyclops customer, <laughs> in the community. which not shocking. That's not a surprising thing to me, but it's kind of a fun little statistic. So we definitely, definitely get a lot of, um, um, I don't know, liberal minded, but we, we have a ton of conservative hue. I mean, we're dealing with rural America as well, where, um, you know, conservatism is king and we do really well in those communities. So it's, yeah, we kind of runs the gamut. That's cool. And what would you say is like, what has to happen for you to get to your next phase? Like, I know it's about getting the word out what do you think is like something that has to happen in terms of like whether it's marketing or customer acquisition what are you what are you focusing on yeah you know we've we've spent the last years going pretty broad so we went from five states to 30 states in 18 months um which for a you know business that really needs a physical kind of physical presence market by market it was a lot of work um but in most of those communities, all of those communities, really, we are just scratching the surface. You know, our, our highest penetration markets were in, you know, 20% of households, just under 20% of households. Most of our markets were in, you know, a percent or two, or maybe even less than a percent, depending on the size of the community. And so kind of what's next for us is going into the communities that we're in and getting more people signed up, getting creating increased awareness, which will have a drastic impact on the prosperity of our business, the profitability of our business. And, um, but also just a big impact on these communities. And, you know, the last thing I wanna do is look at a community and say, hey, we just don't have enough customers to maintain a presence there. We need to pull out. Cause those are, those are real people, real people who care. And you're pulling the rug out from under them when you have to do that. And I, I do not wanna do that. 
So we look at this and say, hey, um, our next step is making sure that every community that we're in has enough customers in that community to justify the service there. So that there's no risk of a program ever going going away in a community. And which when you're when you just start in a community, there's always that risk. You know, you just got it takes a minute to build up a customer base. But we're now at that level where we're saying, okay, time to build up that customer base, time to make this happen in those communities. You know, time to go from tens of thousands of customers to hundreds of thousands of customers um, without drastically changing how many communities we're in. You know, let's let's take the communities we're in and let's start there. And yeah, let's keep adding new communities. We definitely want to do that. Like we just launched in Chesapeake, Virginia, and that that has been um, a monumental success so far. We're getting ready to launch in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and we expect similar results there. Um, but you know, our focus is more on, hey, where we're at, making sure that those places are good and that we're taking care of those customers. Yeah, Chesapeake, that's in my backyard. What's, uh, what goes into a launch? How do you get the word out? What is the, like, is there a standard? I know you've probably been doing this now in multiple cities and locations. So how do you, how do you do it? Yeah, at one point last year, we were launching, launching in three communities a week. So yeah, we've got, we've got the kind of system down pat. Um, you know, the first thing that we do when we go into a community is we talk to community leaders. We go and speak with city council um, and let them know, hey, we know that you don't have recycling or you used to have recycling, now you don't or whatever. You know, we know that there's not recycling happening here. And we know that your citizens care and that you care and we want to help. We understand why the city, you know, has taken this out of the budget or hasn't put it into the budget. Um, and we understand that not everyone in the community is going to be willing to pay for this but we want to make sure that for those that do care that there is an option and the city generally speaking is super supportive of that they see this as a great opportunity for them to um you know push something out into the community that the community wants without having to take on all the risk of that and that, that we kind of take on the burden of the operations and and whatnot and so it's a really it's a great win for cities where they can you know kind of take credit for something without having to do a lot of the the, the work for it um, and so we'll see cities, you know, they put us on their website, some cities, you know, willing to go beyond that. They put, you know, talk about us on social media, or they put a, put a note about it in the water bill that people physically get, and, you know, that those efforts from the city make a huge difference. Naturally, as we, you know, meet with city council and do this, um, it usually grabs the attention of local media and we're able to get some earned media where, you know, we, there's a news story on us in the local newspaper or local TV channel. And that is, uh, that is. Um, super helpful in getting the word out. And then we um, start working with organizations, other organizations in the community that are sympathetic to the cause. And we really build that out. We ask customers to spread the word. We we set a goal for a community to say, hey, we can't launch until we get 100 households. And that helps us get that. And you know, 100 households is very few, but that helps us get the word out and get kind of get people sharing this and talking about this. And then from there, once we've kind of done the partnerships and the community and the word of mouth pushes, then we start doing more of, you know, Facebook ads, next door ads, Instagram ads, um, door to door sales, and really start pushing the, the word out in the community to get the launch going. Um, and then usually it takes, it depends on the community, but you know, a month, a month or two. And we then launch and we, we, well, we start preparing for launch. And so about two weeks before we launch, we start recruiting drivers. Um, if you start recruiting them much earlier than that, it doesn't do you much good. Start recruiting drivers. 
And once we have those drivers onboarded, we're good to go. We, we uh, launch and off to the races. And, you know, at that point we're diverting, um, you know, a significant amount of recycling from every household that signs up every month. And, you know, the impact starts from there. Yeah, that's great. And I know things have changed since like you started this business. Um, what type of like advice would you give to someone that's starting maybe their own recycling business or maybe someone that wants to work for a recycling business or in this space? Um, how would they do it? What, what do they need to study? What type of major do they need to have? Do they need to go to school at all? What, what's the what's the roadmap? Yeah, so I'd say the biggest thing to know if you want to get into the recycling space, um, I think the most important thing to understand, in my opinion, is that although the recycled materials have inherent value, the, the logistics and sorting associated with recycling eats up most of that value. And so I, I, I meet with so many people who are wanting to start things in this space, always with the goal of making money from selling the commodity, selling the recycling, selling the plastic, the cardboard, the this, the that. I, for a portion of our business, we were really focused on that. But we found that it is an uphill battle and commodity prices ebb and flow. One day you're selling cardboard for $130 a ton. Two weeks later, you're selling it for $30 a ton. But guess what? Your expenses are all the same. And I am a firm believer that, that, that in order for this to work and to be, you want, that in order for companies to be lasting, they need a revenue stream that is predictable. And <laughs> And commodity prices um, are pretty, they're not, yeah, pretty unpredictable. And so, uh, you know, our business, we charge a service fee. And I think for me, that's the biggest piece of advice I can give someone who wants to get into this space. Don't do it for free, even if you can make money on the back end, because guess what? Tomorrow you may not be able to. And if that's the only way that you're making money, then guess, then tomorrow you're going out of business and all those customers who care about this, they're going with you. And that is tough. That's tough on you. That's tough on them. And so that that's something that I, I learned the hard way. Um, flirted with bankruptcy because we relied, you know, invested a lot into a model that required um, us to make good money from the material and then material prices crashed. And I'm you know, Googling bankruptcy in incognito mode because I don't want them to know. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I, like, I feel like this should be an incognito mode. But luckily, we were able to make it through that tough time. Um, but it was it was a really important lesson for me that, you know, you, you, there is so much risk in a startup and starting something new. There's so much risk. And so you need to look for every opportunity to de-risk. Every opportunity to de-risk. And that for me was a big way to de-risk. So how'd you come out of that? How, like, how do you just, cause you're, you're, you're relying on these commodity prices and then. Yeah. I mean, it was side with a subscription. Is that, is that the case? Yeah. So we um, just started charging people and had a bunch of people cancel charged, you know, installation fees or startup fees for new customers. Um, this was, um, you know, that, and then, um, I asked my parents to, 
they paid off their house, asked my parents to remortgage their home and loan me. Um, they loaned, ended up, you know, from their home taking out like $170,000 or something. Yeah. And it was the worst. Um, and I, I just feel incredibly lucky one that I had parents who were willing to do that more than anything that I had parents that were able to do that. Like, that's just lucky. Not everyone ends up that lucky. I would, I would be out of business if it weren't for that. And my parents believing in me and trusting me and, and taking that out and finally paid off that debt to them um, last year. But I had it for, I mean, I started, the, I had that debt with them for like five years and it was, it was scary. It was scary for them, scary for me. Um, but um, yeah. And then that's where I feel like there's so much, there's so much um, luck that goes into all of this. And, you know, we've, we've done things right. We've done a lot of things wrong, but man, we've got lucky along the way. Um, I feel lucky that I was, you know, in the circumstances to even consider starting a business and lucky that when the going got tough, that I had people who had my back, um, who, who could, um, and definitely, definitely feel, feel the privilege there. Uh, that's a cool story. And would you say, um, with, I guess like, cause I'm wondering like, how do you even, cause you're, you're, you're pivoting essentially at this point. And so you, you borrow this and are you thinking like, I need to get people with this capital? Or are you thinking I've got to get, uh, you know, just customer acquisition or, or like, am I building out the team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, one, it's, I've, got to serve, I've got to service the debt, right? I've got to not, I've got to make payroll. I've got to dis. Um, and then the other big piece of this for me was um, I got to figure out a better way. And so I started, and then that was part of getting, you know, uh, getting them to believe in me was like that there was a path forward. And so step one was, you know, this time I, I purchased garbage trucks and was doing this more traditional recycling. I had dump, 100 dumpsters, a couple garbage trucks, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars of debt from that. And I went to um, just started looking at my business, where what's working, what's not. We had at this point, we were working in one community. We were doing a bunch of apartments and then we had one like city that we were doing residential recycling in. And I looked at that city and started to, I put 10 bucks into Facebook ads and I got 20 bucks out and I got, I think I got the 10 bucks from selling plasma. <laughs> um, and I, I was like, oh my gosh, the Facebook ads worked. I need to do, I need to invest more in this. And so started doing that, um, you know, got a bunch of new credit cards, maxed them out to try and spend this, to try and grow it up. And it's like, anything I can do to make this business work. And, um, it was, uh, it was pretty scary, um, you know, taking all that on, um, but just saw that I had it working in one community. And once it was working in one community, it's like, okay, how do I scale this up? This time I wasn't doing kind of the Uber model. I wasn't doing the gig economy model, um, and started looking at this and like, Hey, what if, what if instead of having to buy a new truck for every city I go in, there's already people in the city who have trucks or vehicles they can put stuff in what if i did that so like, okay how do you do that how do you get someone to put recycling in their vehicle like it's all messy it's everywhere 
It's like, well, New York City bags all of their recycling. What if we just had customers bag it and then like flattened cardboard to the side like that? Like I have a sister who lives in Manhattan and I'd seen that. It's like, that could work. So I started experimenting with it. Just getting people to sign up with that. Like, oh, yep, you don't get a bin. Just put it in a bag. We'll pick up the bag, flatten the cardboard, put it to the side. People were signing up and it was like, oh my gosh. Okay, now what if I, I wonder if I can find like a random independent contractor to go pick this up. First drivers who did it were my wife's cousins. They went and did it around Christmas. There's a lot of extra recycling and they went and helped. We had our normal, in our normal driver driving with the truck and we had them driving with their, just their, with our a truck owned by me. And then we had them driving around in their, their little pickup truck doing stuff. And like, it worked. It was wow. like, okay. So found another city to try it in, just pulled the trigger. And then from, that was 2018. March of 2018, we launched our first city that was like full gig economy style. By October, we were in 18 cities. We're now in hundreds of cities doing this um, and picking up recycling, picking up dirty diapers, picking up, you name it, you know, just um, making this happen. Well, clearly we should have started at that point because that you took us on a ride right there. <laughs> oh man, it, it was a ride. Lots, of, I didn't know. I didn't know that as a, grown adult I had the capability of like crying the way it made me cry just like the just seeing everything I'd built just on the edge of collapse and my future and you know I I, I just we just had our first baby um it was like oh crap I'm screwed <laughs> But hey, you fight, you fight, you fight, you fight, you fight. You don't give up no matter what. Even when you just want to crawl into a corner and die, <laughs> you just fight. It's like that's, so that's easy what you're going through <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been great, Ryan. What, are, are you a reader? Do you, do you have any, uh, any books that have shaped you or uh, anything that... Yeah, um, there's, there's a couple books that I... Um, have really impacted me. Um, one is a book called Radical Candor. Uh, I feel like it's a great book, a great leadership book. Um, and really um, just highlights how to um, build a great team. I, I, I'm really inspired by that book. And then another book that has really empowered me is Elon Musk's biography. Um, I, I've just, uh, you see the the grit and the resilience that it takes and for me it's been inspiring because it's like okay other people have been through these tough things and they've made it through and they've done more than make it through and and um and that for me is empowering to just like just kind of this like i'm not alone other people got this and it's just inspiring to like i can do great things so that's great um this has been wonderful. Where can the listeners um, follow you? Where can they sign up? Where can they um, be a part of the story? Yeah. So you can go to recyclops.com, R-E-C-Y-C-L-O-P-S. And um, if you're not, if we're not in your city, you can request that we come. And we do have um, kind of specialty programs that are coming up. We're going to be launching around the country for things like batteries and light bulbs and styrofoam and plastic bags and clothing and you name it, the weird stuff. Um, and so, yeah, definitely check out Recyclops.com. You can uh, find me on LinkedIn, um, Ryan Smith, Recyclops. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't use it. 
<laughs> Ry Paul Smith, I think is the Twitter handle. Um, also TikTok. You should all follow me on TikTok. Ryan, um, Ryan Recycles, I think. Ryan Recycles, I think is what it is. Um, but uh, I post a good amount of content there. Um, let me see what makes sure. Yeah. Oh, Recycle Ryan. I should know that. I should know, right. what, my, I should know what my own handle is. <laughs> um, at Recycle Ryan. And uh, um, yeah. That's great. Well, thanks again for doing this and we'll sign out. Awesome. Thank you.